0: Hello? Can people hear me? Am I live? Is this on? Are things happening? I'm waving, but no one can see pictures. You're up. We're seven seconds in. Oh, crikey, that was a bit of a mad rush. Sorry, I've actually uh, been working a bit late with the day job, as as one ought to. Um, Hello? Hello, everyone. Uh, Let's uh, let's do this. In fact, let's do this. Hello, hello, hello. Um, Yeah, I've become hairier. You can watch all these rail matters and, and I've become <laughs> more and more scraggly as we've gone on. Um Welcome everyone, hello. We are let's go Small Face. We're here to talk about the fourth bridge. But first of all, let's um let's say hello to some folks. Who is who who's here? Let's have a look. Let's let's see. We've got uh every, well, we've got Dan, Ryan, Michael, Chris, Matt. Oh we've got yeah, we've got a nice little collection. Hello, Mike, hello Michael. Um, it is stunning. This, this bridge, uh, I mean, it's like this is my favourite structure in the world. And I'm hoping tonight to kind of vaguely, I might well be a bit quiet. That's because this microphone that I have on is very quiet. Uh, and I don't know how to boost it much uh, without it popping horribly. Um, so you might have to turn me up a little bit. In any case, uh, today we're going to be talking about the fourth bridge. Uh, and we're going to do, yeah, it's good. it should be fun. It should be really fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're three minutes in. This one's going to be more, I'm not rushing, this is going to be more leisurely. We're here to have an open chat. The, the previous, we've had so many lovely guests and all sorts of fun things, and me going at like 100 miles an hour talking about APT. So this evening, we're going to relax. We're just going to share some stories. We've got a bit of news coming up. We've got uh, someone asked a question on, uh, on YouTube, um, which I'm going to hopefully answer. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a chilled out session. So, uh, without further ado, um, yeah, welcome to welcome to this evening's rail matter. <laughs> Fading out happily. Uh, I didn't quite stack my timing. Uh, let's let's bring back my big face. Oh, how how is everyone? Are you all well? Um, I think a lot of us are getting to the point. Certainly in the UK, where we've had lockdown for how long? How long is it now? Oof, a while. Um, we're all we're all getting a bit sick of it. I miss being in trains, traveling places. If I'm in a train, I'm happy because I'm seeing new places. Um, Dean and I are you know wanting to go and do things. We want to see friends, family. We're all there, but hopefully this is a chance for all of us to, you know, we're here with friends. Lots of familiar faces in the chat, which is really nice. We're going to just chat about something that I'm sure quite a few of us love. If you don't like the fourth bridge, um, feel free to uh, feel free to get involved and tell me why. And all of us will pile on you and tell you you're wrong. No, this is a place for friends. It's a happy place. <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's go with no. You don't want to see that. That's let's, uh, let's go with let's get my little face up. And let's have a look through Yeah, Right, oh, okay, so the news. Firstly, the news, um, as you can read about in Rail Magazine, but also generally has been uh, up and about. Andrew Haynes, who is the big boss of Network Rail, has uh, spoken up in fa- finally has broken his silence about electrification and has explicitly come out saying it's a good thing. Um, Network Rail are in the process of publishing, or, or should hopefully soon publish, their um, actual map saying this is what we should electrify. As people who are in the chat who watched last time, in fact, let's get the chat up because let's let's chat about this. As people in the chat last time will remember, uh, who were here for the advanced passenger train, sorry, not last time, the time before, um, there have just been a sequence of new reports saying what we should electrify and that a long-term electrification plan is a good idea. And every time they just get forgotten about it. Let's hope this one is different. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, everyone's fed up of homeschooling. We've got, uh, yeah, lovely. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Lots of people chatting about various people who miss just miss train travel miss uh, yeah we we all miss it don't we um anyway so we're looking forward to the future and this is a story that's quite good because if andrew haynes is being allowed he's normally just to put there to his position so the chief exec of network rail his role is basically just to parrot what um, government tell him to uh it's nice that he's speaking out positively about electrification and given that we need to have much more infrastructure investment in a post-covid world the economy is kind of on the well it's it's been crushed and also everyone in the public has been shown that money doesn't actually exist so we're at the point where we need to invest in infrastructure in a big way so electrification feels like a natural good way to do it i know right uh we've got people in chat saying electrification is the future yeah it is it was the future in 1910 when when a a chap called henry o'brien um uh suggested that it ought to be uh, you know, that we ought to have a rolling program of electrication. Then it was third rail. Uh, but yeah, we've been we've had 110 years of people saying a rolling program of electrification is a good idea. Do you think we'll actually be, get around to it this time? So we have, yeah, lots of people being upset about missed opportunities on electrification. Right, let's go next. So what's the next bit of news? Okay, this bit of news, um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Porterbrook, I'm going to get told if I got that wrong, who owns some of the Class 319s, Trialled an interesting little experiment. Um, I think it was into Euston actually, which was uh, using these trains, which are largely redundant now, actually, as uh, inner city or inter inner city freight packages. You know things like uh, your Amazon packages or whatever it happens to be, bringing them in to uh, the centre of the city, into stations for logistical purposes, slightly out, you know outside of peak time. Um, for me it seems like a really good idea as so long as it doesn't get in the way. You know, the good thing about this stock is that it doesn't have to it's not slow it doesn't get in the way of other vehicle it can run in amongst passenger stock no problem it's electrified it's light uh you know, in terms of drivers, uh, you've got drivers who you know you've got a, a ready pool of drivers who can drive this sort of you know electric passenger vehicles. So you're you're expanding the pool. You know, you're not necessarily taking. We've got a limited supply of freight drivers, so you're not necessarily diminishing that pool. You're expanding the pool for passenger drivers. Yeah, it's it's quite cool. I'm I'm quite pleased about this. Um, uh, yeah. So. Uh, Roaming Adocrat is wondering what the nickname is for Class 319. Yeah, See, I'm not sure. What is the nickname? The, the Spotter's nickname. Um, yeah. So, anyway, this is cool. What else is in the news? Oh, yes, yes. So, w- w- this week, huh, you'll notice that. I'm not going to talk much about HS2 because you get enough of that with me on Twitter. But two Twitter accounts have appeared in the last sort of week or two, or at least certainly came to prominence this week. Uh, One of them is uh, Extinction Rebellion for for HS2, for High Speed 2, and the other one is uh, Green Party People, Greens for HS2. Um, This is cool. Uh, Finally, we're starting to see some some actual flags of people who are in the green movement who support railways, because if you don't support High Speed 2, then you're... Uh, You're not you're just basically opposing rail expansion. It's the cheapest, most effective, most time kind of quickest way to get a massive boost upgrade to our railway network. It's not in replacement of continuing to upgrade the existing network. We're still spending you know four times as much a year or three times as much a year upgrading the existing network. This is a longer term project. But anyway, so that's quite interesting. So go and have a look at what they have to say. The the Greens for HS2 um, account did a really interesting thread on on ancient woodland today, which is quite good. So. I'd recommend going and having a look and seeing what they're up and on about. Um, right, what's next? Mm. Ah, yes. So, in fact, very few. Forgive me. I'm going to just click on here. That's going to pause the video because that's how this works. I need to work out how to stop that from happening. Um, but I had a question from who did I have a question? Ashley Elgin. Um, asked the question, actually, which was, uh, if I go back here, um, considering that Great Britain runs a lot of steam for cultural reasons, you know, history, tourism, can I talk a little bit about the considerations taken to deal with hammer blow and other problems that steam engines can cause from a maintenance and construction perspective? Uh, yes, I can. Here's a steam train and it's about to go past. Let me taking a video in the Nithalatin. Um, so, um, yes, hammer blow. Well, for starters, because the volume of so the, my, my immediate response is um, steam trains do not make up you know in the past, they made up a huge volume of rolling stock running. So every train, funnily enough, when you had the steam locomotives, uh, before sort of the 50s, pretty much everything was uh, steam. and so you hammer blow is something you had to had to manage, understand. that's where kind of the wheels, you, because there's a piston driving it, you don't get a perfect smooth motion like you do with electric motors. You get kind of a piston effect, so the wheels sort of surge, you get un- a kind of a balance uh, issues within the wheels that mean that you can get this sort of hammer effect on the track. So firstly, that issue isn't such a problem because we just have a, such a you know a tiny fraction of the the, the, the rolling stock moving around. But, you know, The locomotives on the network are now steam engines, so it doesn't make much difference. Um, The other issue is that our track is actually a lot tougher now because we have to deal with so much, so many, you know, the the annual tonnages we deal with on the railway now are so much higher than they used to be, Uh, despite the fact that coal traffic has reduced a lot. We're generally still, we're running that many more trains that you still have high annual tonnages. Our track is just tougher. Since the use of pre-stressed concrete um, uh, sleepers, since the use of, uh, you know, continuous casted rails so rails that have fewer impurities which means that you know generally a failure of rail starts where there's an impurity but we make rails better now so they don't have those impurities which means that rails don't crack um david Shears is pointing out that 30% of trains between Malag and fort william are steam hauled yeah and they use bullet rails too so they do have the same issues but to be fair the maintainers there are probably the same maintainers from 60 years ago so they know what they're doing um but broadly certainly in the main major parts of the network um Track is tougher, but also we have much better inspection and maintenance regimes as well. So we have continuous inspection. We have the, you know, the, the track measuring trains that have cameras looking at the track. So if there are issues that are uh, arising as a result of steam trains running around the network, they're much more rapidly fixed, because, not because we necessarily employ more maintenance staff, but because we have better inspection regimes. Is that a... Uh, Chris Bird is pointing out that Blow mainly affected rail joints. We have far fewer um, bolted rail joints now. We have uh, welded rails, so they, we, we've replaced a kind of a bolted joint with a with a welded uh, connection between rails. So that helps as well. Um, Dan, <laughs> of course, Dan is vouching for the rail quality. Um, now you can say mean things now because they anyway. Let's let's not go there, Dan. We, we can, yeah. Aliem um, uh, wishes that we let's have a look. Uh, the Greens. Uh, right, Ali is a Scottish Green. Uh, don't even have a policy on HS2. Yeah, well, indeed. Um, uh, but they wish they did so that they could make the point that they're different from the English and Welsh Green Party on on that. Um, but not yet. There are so many things we dis- disagree with. Yeah, there's there a lot. There seem to be a lot. The difference between the Green Party. And I'm getting political, but you know you can't move. You can't separate politics and railways. I'm afraid they're one and the same thing. The difference between the Green Party uh, north of the border and the Green Party, party south of the border. is that The Green Party north of the border uh has 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 to be has formed national government so has to understand compromise and realism that isn't necessarily the case for um some of the people involved in the national party uh, at a leadership level south of the border um there are lots of terrific councillors and and indeed you know uh, Caroline Lucas is a terrific MP um but i'd say that the the overall green party doesn't necessarily have the the management experience, shall we say, um, south of the border compared to north of the border. David Shearers is pointing out that hammer blows may not be an issue soon as supply of coal for steam locomotives is about to dry up as the UK's last two coal mines close. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, we might find all of our steam locomotives are converted to oil burners fairly soon. And then beyond that, you might find that they're battery powered with steam pellets in the front like a Hornby train. But that's, that's another discussion to have, isn't it? Um, uh, so, yeah, right. I've digressed somewhat. Hopefully that was a suitable answer. Um that uh, yes, uh, hopefully Ashley Elgin, I've answered your question <laughs> a bit in a bit of a roundabout way. We're already at quarter past seven, which is good because this I've talked fast. Let's let's, let's slow down. There we go. Yeah. So let's have a look. What else is going on? So we've got um, uh, tis France's fault. Uh, is pro train doesn't like HS two. It's an expensive half measure. In your humble opinion, fair enough. Um, What I'd recommend is uh, to see if I can swing your opinion on that, there are a few videos on my YouTube account about HS2, go and have a watch of those and see what you think, particularly the one that I did with Paul and Rebecca Whitewick. Um, That seems to have been, you know, Ben Goldick has shared that video, he seemed to like it, so um, I'd recommend going and having a look. Right uh yes they are totally uh, separate the green green parties are like there are lots of little green parties all over the place and you know in europe there are lots of green parties they're separate the scottish party the scottish greens are separate to the english and welsh greens yes um stick a pantograph on steam locomotives and call them el- and have electric steam trains that is uh yes could do that uh, david Shearer says perhaps hydrogen yeah you've got a big tender haven't you you could shovel a load of hydrogen in there that's a potential possibility, and you can pump the steam out the top yeah there we go Uh, you know, just a heating element to just send a load of ridiculous, you know, to send all the water at the top as steam. I think you're onto something there, David. You need to patent that. Right. Let's move on. The fourth bridge. Look at that. This is, so this is a picture. Oh gosh, I forgot who, I knew, I I didn't want to do this and I've gone and forgotten who took this picture. I'll put it in the description or indeed you can find it on Twitter. This is my favorite picture, of the fourth bridge. It's stunning. And this is it, the fourth bridge. It is my favorite structure In the world, bar none, it's just stunning. Um, I I mean, yeah, I I, I think I think it's um, it's just an absolutely uh, connected the cities uh, of the Scottish Central Belt with the coalfields and the ports of uh, Fife in the north. Um, You know, strength was the name of the game. Uh, It had it has these tapered towers. You can you can sort of see them at the ends there. These tapered towers to deal with wind loading. Um, a colossal amount of structural redundancy. Uh, you know, it was, yeah, it basically intended to resist kind of the most aggressive winds that nature could throw at it without it kind of so much as flinching. Uh, it's what is it, two and a half kilometers long, I think. Um, yeah, and and to be honest, it's 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 an icon. It's it's a symbol of Scotland, an absolute symbol of Scotland. Uh, Sarah's asking what happened to the first three. That's uh, a very good point. We're going to come onto that, Sarah. Um, Yes. Oh, and on the interest of electrification, uh, people often moan about how hard a job it's going to be to electrify the fourth bridge. No, 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 no. This bridge is already cleared for uh, certain types of container freight. Uh, it's all steel, so bonding it will be very easy. There are only a couple of struts that cause an issue. So actually, I have good, good authority from some electrification engineers that electrifying the fourth bridge will not be hard at all. Actually, it will be quite straightforward. And from it, all you need to do is paint your OLE kit red, and it'll be fairly straightforward from a listed structures, you know, from a, a heritage perspective as well. Um, so, this is an important point to make. Uh, it's not difficult to electrify, and it'll happen very soon. Uh, David Chiris, who's on the chat, might well have more to add on that. Um, yes, the 39 steps. I was going to put the posters in for the 39 steps, actually, uh, because someone shared them all recently, and they're brilliant. I love the 39 steps films that are involved in this, although the original 39 steps didn't involve the fourth bridge the book. Uh, the films did. I think the uh, the one with Kenneth Moore in it which is was always my favorite because it was was it my favorite in any case. Maybe it is isn't my favorite at all. It's feeble, but I always like Kenneth Moore because he's just always Kenneth Moore in things. Uh, and that one had the fourth bridge because it's a fantastic set piece, isn't it? It looks terrific. Um the fourth fourth bridge must be discussed tonight. Oh, are we talked the fourth fourth bridge. What? The fourth see I was going to call anyway, right, I I digress, right, (laughs) there's the third fourth bridge, which is what my, so when they did the competition for the Queen's Free Crossing, which in my view is a bit of a silly name, but it's not so bad, there were worse names out there, Um, all the nationalist and royalist ones that went were just rubbish, Queen's Free I can deal with, I suppose that is a bit royalist, isn't it, but anyway, never mind, Uh, I liked it being called the third fourth crossing, or the third fourth bridge, because it is the third fourth bridge, this is the new one, Um, which, have I got a picture of the three? I think I do later. We'll come back to those uh, because I think I've got a picture of the three. And from a structural perspective, it's interesting to compare them. Let's go to the next slide. Right, okay, this I'm going to touch on. uh, This is, this was my fourth bridge piece I put in Rail Magazine a while back, uh, which I've just published. No, I didn't just publish it. I published it um, a couple of months back on Medium, so you can read this. Um, And it's just a piece. It was a piece, it was a love letter, essentially, but a very long one um about the fourth bridge it's got some you know nice pictures in it and uh a few kind of yeah i was very pleased that i was asked to write this in fact i was honored to be able to write a piece a, a massive spread loads of words oh it was glorious um loads of nerdy stuff in there loads of great details so it's on medium um go in and have a look is it in, it might be in the description even of this uh, uh of this video anyway go and have a look uh it's it's hopefully quite good, people seem to like it. Lots of uh, little tidbits and facts and all sorts. Um, and some of the maps I'm gonna stick on a screen now, we cover. But first, why do I love the Forth? So why for me is the Forth Bridge such a such an iconic structure and why is it imprinted on my life so much? And I'm sure you've all got similar stories for those of you who lived nearby or, so I lived in Ivaroo North of Abrin when I grew up and we used to drive past the Forth Bridge uh, normally on our way back north, actually. Dad, for whatever reason, would go Perth direction. He'd go, sorry, you'd go Perth, Stirling, and, and down the M6 when we were going down to my grandparents in Devon or family in uh, in Cardiff or wherever it happened to be. Uh, and so I'd always be upset when we'd turn off, that we'd go around the silly spirally M9, M90 junction and whiz off um, towards Stirling from Perth. But on the way north, Possibly because that was the way around that it was free in the toll, actually in hindsight my dad was very tight-fisted um we'd drive over and we'd drive over the fourth bridge the, 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 the suspension bridge which was always knackered and it went it always goes gadunk, gadunk, dunka as you go over which was always fun um no one gets to do that anymore sad times and we'd look across and particularly when I was sort of what when I was kind of in my early teens no not even that when I was sort of around about 10 they had this run up to the millennium thing this huge clock on it they hadn't illuminated it quite in the way they have now. It looks much more attractive now that it doesn't have scaffolding and it is illuminated wonderfully. But back then they had these huge, this kind of date countdown on it. Um, and, oh, it was, yeah, it was, that, that for me, it was just iconic. I'd love it. I'd look across and just see this incredible structure striding across the fourth, it was brilliant. Um, Matt Reed's asking who built it. We're gonna get there. So, uh, in fact, let's go to the next, in fact, you know what, I'm gonna go to the next slide. So, oh yeah, I loved it so much, here's me, when I went to Edinburgh for, for university, here's me as a moody looking sort of late teenager, uh, having, visited university, having visited Edinburgh for, for during an open day or something, and you can see the scaffolding in the background, this is 2007 or 2008, it's like my Facebook profile picture at the time, back when I actually used Facebook, that age is that, me kind of looking a bit moody in some sort of cheap, probably Primark Converse's and some jeans from Matalan, absolutely rock and roll. Anyway, <laughs> let's not worry about that too much. That's just showing how much I loved it. You know, I thought it was cool enough that I could put it as my Facebook profile picture. Right, Sarah, you were talking about how many bridges there were. Someone who someone who has an indecipherable username on Twitter, but thanks to them, I think it's like AI underscore a, num, a zero or something, um, or L, gave me a list of these. So these are, uh, these are the structures that preceded it on the fourth bridge. So the fourth bridge is actually the fifth bridge, technically, over the fourth. So you had, in order of where they are, so from upstream in Lochard down the 4th, you've got Gartmore Viaduct, which was built by the Strathendrick and Aberfoyle Railway, which later got gobbled up by the North British, I think. Um, you have Stirling 4th Viaduct, which was, in fact, you've got two Viaducts in Stirling. Uh, the first was built by, or the, the one that's further upstream was built by the Scottish Central Railway, and then the next one was built by the Stirling and Dunfermline Railway, I think. Uh, the one that's upstream was the second one that was built when it was expanded, but people who know better than me will expand on that. Um, And then you have the Alloa Spring Bridge, which was built by the Alloa Railway, which is further downstream, uh, as you can imagine. They're all obviously where it's much narrower, but they are nonetheless crossings of the 4th, so if we're going to be accurate, the 4th bridge is technically the 5th bridge over the 4th fifth railway bridge i mean we've also got the battle of sterling bridge which means there was a bridge over there quite a long time before that for for road uh and so there are probably several in fact the bridge in sterling the road bridge in Stirling, would have been built a newer bridge so actually it's probably the eighth uh fourth bridge but anyway if we're talking about railways it's the fifth fourth bridge let's have a look who's chatting ailey points out that bus and taxi drivers still get to go dunk, dunk. yes that is true um let's have a look Kentish Railways, they're talking about being signal engineers and, and, oh yes, that's right. Um, Bad, oh, YouTubing and all sorts. David Shearers is, let's let's see, do they still paint it? Toby Farman's asks, do they, Toby Farman is asking if they still paint it Uh, and as David Shearers points out, no, they don't Uh, because they don't need to. They've, they use a proper oil rig paint that's full of waxy stuff and plastics Uh, so it's less of a paint and more of a plastic wrap that's got colour and that, is what gives in fact let's let's whiz in here let's go back to this picture here yeah you can see it's lovely red color it's actually plastic wrap really now um god just i could look at this picture forever it's just stunning isn't it absolutely stunning anyway right let's whiz on this picture so who built it you ask well the consulting engineers or the lead engineers uh were two well let's two people it was the 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 company was uh, who built it was uh sir william Arrow and company um who later went on to become what did they went to go on did they go on to become did they go into freeman fox or anyway someone else will tell me but the the actual design was headed by two already legendary engineers so you had um on the on the left hand side here was um sheffield born john fowler um he was already famous because he was the lead engineer on the the metropolitan railway he he'd He was the engineer who created the world's first dedicated underground uh, passenger line. So he was already famous, world famous, in fact. He'd done stuff in America, I think, already by this point. Um, And he was ably partnered by a chap called Benjamin Baker from Froome in uh, Somerset, um, who had also been one of his collaborators on the Met. uh, And actually... Benjamin Baker, with his experience under his belt on the Met, he would pioneer the use of cast iron segments for the deep tube when it was later built by the incredibly long-named companies that built the first deep tube tunnels in London. So in a way, we have uh, Benjamin Baker. We've got John Fowler to thank. Fowler, we can thank for the idea of underground passenger railways, metro railways. Um, And Benjamin Baker, we can thank for modern tunnel design because he created the idea of having these pre precast uh, or preformed segments we now use you know uh, concrete you know pre-stressed uh, concrete reinforced concrete but at the time it was cast iron um segments and indeed we're still using cast iron segments Crossrail's connecting passages so cross rail, very new tunnel all the connecting passages use cast iron because it's a very durable strong uh, material so there you go that's who built it uh, and indeed so the the civil engineering company uh William and Company were the ones who uh, did the surveying, the design, the installation, um, and indeed they did the engineering assurance, so they brought in experts uh, to assure this design. Um, and if you're curious, in 2017 prices, so kind of around about today's prices, uh, the bridge cost about $400 million. Uh, That's just a correcting for inflation. So if I was going to correct for working you know for the for the, the amount that workers are paid and and the way that money has changed slightly uh, probably you'd be looking at more like a billion quid actually maybe even more than that so actually it was not a cheap bridge uh, at the time it only cost 3.2 million but you know money doesn't stay this still does it um let's see so we've got yes uh, the chap in the middle shall we talk about the chap in the middle yeah let's let's talk about the chap in the middle um Uh, right, okay, no, let's not, because I'm going to answer some questions, Matt Reed, when did they stop having to continuously paint it, Um, when they finished a major refurbishment, about 10 years ago, actually, Um, maybe a little bit more, yeah, it was about 10 years ago, actually, I think maybe 2012, so eight years ago, Um, David Shepard, yes, they are cheating, Uh, the one in the middle is clearly wearing a lighter hat, yeah, that's very true, Um, Ailey, yeah, she's, yes. 2011. Thanks, Ailey. Yeah, 2011 was when the plastic coating uh, finished. Um, yeah, so it shouldn't need to be done until uh, the kind of 2036, and then they'll do the whole thing again. Probably it'll take them about three or four years. Um, right. Matt Reed also asks uh, if there are any other bridges in the world that are a similar design to the fourth bridge. We shall get on to that, um, because yes, in lots of ways. So in this picture, we have... Uh, let's let's talk about this picture and, and who we've got. Um, so this is this picture is is demonstrating what's called the cantilever principle. Now, in terms of bridges that look very much like the fourth bridge, there are quite a few. Um, that famous, you know, the truss structure combined with cantilever uh, structural principles. There are quite a few. Probably the most famous is the Quebec uh, bridge, uh, which is in Quebec. Uh, which very closely follows this design. But in terms of the, the, the structural principle, which is the cantilever form, lots and lots and lots of bridges follow this form, you know, thousands and thousands across the planet. And in terms of big structures, um, in the UK, the, the the most obvious example is next door, which is the Queensbury crossing follows precisely the same structural form as the fourth bridge. It's a cantilever uh, type. Um, It's Cable-stayed, but it's mirroring the same structural form. It's it's certainly closer in form to this bridge, to the fourth bridge, than it is to the suspension bridge next to it. Um, But also the second seven crossing is Cable-stayed. You have, what is it, is the Queen Elizabeth crossing? So the other Dartford crossing, the bridge one, that's Cable-stayed, I think, as well. If there's a cable-stayed structure – oh, and the, the, the small one that they built on the approach to the first seven crossing is also cable-stayed. So all of your cable-stayed structures follow the same structural form as this. Um, and so this picture was taken in 1887 in the middle of uh, of the, the bridge's construction, and they were in the process of well, – for whatever reason, they decided they were going to show that structural form to people. Some people did not believe that a, a span that size um, could, could sustain – uh, you know, could sustain the heavy coal trains that were going to go over the top, and so here they are um, with a with an engineer called. Um, oh, let me just check his name. Oh, Kaichi Watanabe. Um, he was actually just a graduate engineer, just to show that engineering kind of worked a bit like it does now. He had been at Glasgow University actually at the time, or just beforehand, um, and he was. Uh, I think he was scouted. I think he worked briefly as a, or he did some work experience as a site engineer um, with. Benjamin Baker, I think, Uh, again, you can kind of Google this. I think the story's online. Um, And he did a good job, and so he went over to be a kind of a site engineer for one of the sort of sub kind of work sites, not the whole thing, but one of the work sites uh, within the overall uh, contract. Uh, And so here he is helping. So as a site engineer, you know, he was sort of – you can see their rank by their hats. But uh, So his hats, he's got wearing kind of a a deerstalker, and he has a sensational-looking sort of um, watch – tucked into his pocket which i i'm jealous of frankly he looks awesome it's a nice little suit he's got on in fact they all look terrific um, i'd i'd go on to site with that if we could have high vis uh, three piece suits that would be terrific uh, if you could get on that article that would be ter- tremendous um so there he is he's in the, so he was he was an excellent engineer and uh, for me it's quite important because it shows the international nature of engineering even then uh, there have been several massive mega projects going on you know that you had the Suez Canal, you had. Um, let's see. I'll tell you exactly what different projects there were um, going on. So i will come back to that later. Basically, it was a very much an international um, international affair. So um, yeah, so you had yeah, so you had projects like. Um, in fact, the the. the 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 Nile Dam, the Aswan Dam, was being constructed as well. I think so. You actually had this tremendous um, shortage of civil engineering of skilled people for civil engineering, and so generally you had quite an international group, a significant significant international representation. You know, uh, there were U.S. engineers from the USA, from Japan, as we can see here. uh, Lots from across the continent. Lots of Indian engineers. Um, You know, this wasn't just laborers; required a huge number of skilled engineers to make this this happen. You know, steel fixers. Uh, the whole works, and so yeah, there are lots of lots of people with lots of different skills internationally coming in and building this. Um, but I, I love this picture anyway; it's great. Um, yeah, David Shepper points out that rail history seems to be full of people claiming that everyone will die if if people use trains. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, a lot of people would like three piece uh, high vis definitely. Um, yeah, so oh, I'm I'm glad you're all having a good chat. Is everyone? Yeah, what's, pe- lots of people are citing Walmart's books. Yeah, this this one's quite good. Um, I, I can I can recommend uh, can recommend this book. It's quite good. I mean, it, it, it finishes a little prematurely, shall we say? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good. Um, I'm I'm sure he'll have a second volume coming out. I'm looking forward to Christian turning face and deciding HS two is a good idea. Once he does that, we'll be on the same page on all sorts of things. He and I battle things like autonomous cars together quite regularly and Hyperloop. Um, I. Christian's a good, he's a, he's a good, he's a good egg. Um, let's have, let's, okay, let's crack on. Oh, here's some maps, look at this, so these, so you can see uh, on the left-hand side of this drawing, we've got um, the, the, the approach piers on the southern end, and then on the, on the other side, you can see the approach piers um, uh, on the northern end, so the, the North Queensferry end. And this just gives you an idea of two things, actually. Firstly, the scale of the structure, um, but also, it is quite slender, it, it is still, the scale of it, it is still quite a slender looking structure, you know, overall. Um, I love it anyway. Uh, so, that's a good drawing, don't really have much to say on I mean, the fact that it looks awesome. Um, I've got some stats, that were, oh yeah, okay, so, um, here you can see some of the examples of uh, the design drawings. So, these are all showing the angles of the trusses and how the forces are dissipating. And looking at the um, pressures on the piers, given certain wind loadings as well. So this drawing for me as an engineer, looking at the way they've done some of the, I mean, it brings back nightmares from, you know, BDSM. No, that's not, that's something different. BDS2, Building and Design of Structures 2, which was like the, anyway, my engineering structural courses, (laughs) lots of nightmare. Uh, And um, yeah, it's, I love seeing these. It's just interesting seeing seeing the fact that engineering, you know, the rules of physics don't change. We just get better at mastering them. Let's, yeah, so what, what else we got here? Ah, but, so I wanted to put a bit of context to this because the, the, the bridge wasn't built in, in a particularly good, it, well, it was built in the aftermath of probably one of the most infamous engineering failures in history. This is the Tay Bridge, if you hadn't realised. And the original designer for the fourth bridge was also was, was Thomas Bouch. He was also in the process of, of, of you know, he was designing. Uh, he just finished design, or you know, twenty years before, ten years before, did done the Tay Bridge, which had fallen over rather spectacularly. And um, he was unfairly criticised in in honesty, but uh, you know, uh, it, it was his bridge and it did fall down. He kind of died in in shame, really, uh, after it collapsed. In any case. Uh, so not only had we had this colossal engineering failure shortly, you know, it, it was built in, you know, the fourth bridge was being designed in the aftermath, the direct aftermath of this, but also there was just generally a faltering confidence in British economic prowess. Um, you know, we, we were stacking it globally actually at this point. Uh, at the end of the 1800s, it wasn't necessarily the shining time of the British Empire. Others were rising. The, the, the US, for example, was coming to substantial prominence at the time. And yet, this incredible, or the fourth bridge, which is going to appear momentarily. Here it is, in, in the process of being built. Look at it; it's just spectacular. This this thing arose out of the out of the fourth out of the estuary, um, as in my opinion, at least, like one of the finest engineering monuments humans have ever created. And it happens to be a railway structure. I just you know, it's 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 brilliant. Um, I just think that. I oh, just, yeah, I love it. It's, it's terrific. Let's, let's have a look at another picture. Here it is being built as well. These these photos, these are all in the, I think they're all in the Network Rail archives, actually, these photos. Um, they're just, I mean, the images, they're just stunning. The scale, you can see that A-frame shape, the kind of the, the bracing. It's almost like someone bracing against the wind. You know, the winds coming up the fourth estuary were pretty spectacular, but they are nothing to the strength of this bridge. Really, it is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. Let's see what some of you saying about it. Um, at that uh yeah, sarah noble is a chris is imagining christian walmer hitting uh, joe Rukin over the head with a steel chair um so the picture we're looking at just now conscious that I'm, I'm reading things out here but not um describing uh the images very well for the people who are on our podcast hello to all of you uh, listening uh these are some of the old photographs of the the bridge being built uh so you can see them covered in scaffolding uh nice CPA images Actually, you know, the, the, you see the stonework being erected, but you can see the scale of the, bri- the, the kind of the, the, the temporary works there to, to erect this huge structure. It, it really is something. Um, uh, people are laughing at, yes, BDSM, you know, well-designed trade infrastructure is indeed some people's kink. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Um, yeah, these photos are stunning. I'm glad people are enjoying these. Absolutely stunning. Uh, right, okay, so a couple of pictures. These are some, so these are some of the same drawings we've seen earlier, um, but they are showing uh, the progress. So they're showing what has been built. So actually, the photo beforehand is probably around about the same time of this um, bridge having been built. And you can see, interestingly, what's been built is in red, and what's in the process of being built is in blue. So uh, this is, so you can see some of the dates on here. Again, these drawings you can find them in very high resolution online. That they're they're all they're there for all to to see. Um, but this this one's a little bit ripped and tatty, which is a shame. But the reason is probably because it's been held at two corners, because um, it's a working drawing. You can see it's had it's had people scribbling on it, um, and I just love some some of the cross sections are tremendous. So you can see some of the there's a, a bit of a cross section here showing the um, the actual uh, bit that carries the railway itself. So you can see the the, the longitudinal timbers where the rails are sat. Uh, you can see the A frame really nicely. Uh, I think the next one actually is a close up so it's another drawing in showing much more detail of the truss structure and it just gives you an idea of the amount of the scale the amount of material involved um, in this in this construction so let's do okay let's do some hyperbole let's not even hyperbole let's talk about um superlatives so I'm going to go through these at a lick cuz it's brilliant the fourth bridge it is I'm not going to read this for brain. Basically, it contains 6.5 million rivets. So there are going to be lots and lots of superlatives associated with this. So uh, the scale of the supply chain, this is, wasn't just, you know, this this is a huge national and indeed kind of international effort. And the supply chain spanned the UK. So, and, and steel is a good way to it. So, so there are 62,200 tons, 62, tons use, of steel used in the construction of the bridge. Some of that was for um, temporary works as well, actually. Um and the rivets of those was 4,200 tonnes. Um, they were provided by the Clyde Rivet Company in Glasgow. That's only for starters, though. So we had 12,000 tonnes of structural steel came from Siemens' steelworks in South Wales. Another 38,000 tonnes were supplied by the steel company of Scotland's works, which was near Glasgow. And a further 8,000 tonnes that needed to be ordered later on uh, were uh, provided by Dalzell's iron and steelworks in Motherwell. So you can see it's quite a major supply chain. So that's 62,000 or around about you know over sixty thousand tons of steel. Uh, to give you an idea of scale, the Ortsel Cord Bridge weighed less than six hundred tons, and that was a huge bridge. So the Ortsel Cord Bridge was a hundredth the size of the fourth bridge in terms of steel, a hundredth the size. Just gives you an idea of scale. You know this is this is a monument built to last forever. Um, what else? We've got a third of a million tons of masonry was used. Uh, so that fills uh, a volume kind of twenty five percent greater than the whole of the Royal Albert Hall. Um, There was so much Portland cement uh, used in the kind of stick all this stuff, all the masonry together, uh, that it was uh, that twelve hundred tons were stored any one time in a huge barge, Um, and they were delivered up from the Medway. Actually, strangely enough, the vessel converted for this task was a was a bridge called the Hugemot. I think I pronounced that right. Which was the last ship used to export criminals to Australia. Weirdly enough. Anyway, there are some superlatives. I won't say any more, but it gives you an idea of scale. You know, this thing was. Huge deal, Ailey. Thank you for correcting me. It's another mole guy sort of situation, isn't it? Deal, yeah, Dalzell deal. Thanks. I'm, a, I'm an east coaster, so you know. Um, yes, lots of people. Oh, yeah, good. Michael Donner points out that he saw the original version of this drawing uh, in York. That's exciting. 60,000 tons of steel, yeah, lots. 62,200 tons of steel, it's a lot of steel. Um Next picture, ah right, so these are interesting, these are some of the approach, these are some of the drawings for the approach railway, um, describing what the connection was uh, for the railway to connect it to, so these are the original, and basically not much was done in terms of additional railway work uh, to connect the fourth bridge to the, rest of the, to the rest of the railway network, and this is a problem. So if I put these maps up that I created, um, you can see here on the north and the south that they, that some of the extra railway that they had to had to create, and this is kind of important because it, it it's a it's a it's a thing that often happens with major civil engineering projects is that we forget. Firstly, we forget about the connecting infrastructure anyway. A lot of extra road work went in when they built the the, the kind of the new crossing, um, and it ought to be kind of more prominent in people's minds. Um, Forty five miles of new railway was built to connect to the fourth bridge eventually, um, and uh, actually some of the engineers. Uh, the engineers were the ones who had to convince the the Fourth Bridge Railway Committee that they needed all this extra railway. Originally, it was just a, two very short spurs. So those drawings I showed you, um, those show the original very short spurs connecting to the bridge. They don't show, they they don't, they're not for the expansive expansive railway. For example, the, eventually this the high quality two track railway was built connecting Bridge of Urn, so Perth basically directly down to the Fourth Bridge unfortunately that was sold off by british rail's scottish region uh, as part of a bargain to keep open other bits of railway uh, and it was lost and we're going to have to reopen it frankly because the current connections from the fourth bridge up to perth are useless uh, that is going to happen in the next it's, the plan is that that'll happen in the next sort of 20 years at some point that'll start happening so we'll see it's in the long term plan for scotland network rail scotland um so the bridge opened in 1890 but uh, the connecting railways were only completed about three months later. Uh, and kind of, a, kind of an interesting point to look at is that the, the, those lines, the, the ones I've got up on screen now, aren't even, weren't even the end of the story. Uh, and this will start sounding very familiar to people who uh, who are familiar with what when when you build when you fix a railway bottleneck or create a new piece of infrastructure, you create capacity problems all around. It's all about induced demand, and exactly the same thing happened. There was a huge upsurge in traffic when the bridge was completed, and the old Waverley Station at the time was still connected by two tracks only. So it was only in 1900, ten years after the fourth bridge had opened, that a colossally complex infrastructure project uh, costing around about half the cost of the bridge. Uh, so. Half again, so 50% of the bridge cost again on top of it to build, to do a load of infrastructure work in Edinburgh, including new junctions, new track, uh, but particularly uh, for tracking the line between Castorfin in the east and to Abbey Hill in the west. So that involved driving three new two track tunnels to parallel the existing ones to connect up with Waverley Station, totally rebuilding Waverley itself, uh, reconstructing Northbridge above it, you know, a huge amount of infrastructure work. Um, um, to be honest, we find ourselves in exactly the same position now. There's been this tremendous growth of services in Scotland, fuelled by central belt electrification, fuelled by the the, the the Borders Railway. Um, generally, having more trains on the on both north, both the West Coast Mainline and the East Coast Mainline. Exactly the same problems are resurfacing. Waverley ideally would be all of them would be through platforms. The terminal platforms cause real headaches. There aren't not nearly enough platforms, not nearly enough through capacity. The lines at each side of the station are clogged, particularly in the Haymarket direction. Um, and once again, another massive upgrade. Waverley's is always being upgraded, and there's another one in the pipeline. You know, a huge amount of, en- of engineering. And that's not just for these little platforms that have been added, there's even more longer term work, a big master plan. Um, you know, the Ordsle Cord is a good example of where that's been ignored. You create a new piece of infrastructure that's actually just created, you know, expanded the problems in Manchester. So it's, you know, as ever, there's much to learn and apply if you kind of glance over your shoulder for long enough. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting to look at these. Uh, yes, there is you know, that. That railway was a lot of it was built. The railway connecting Bridge of Erd and 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 Kinross has been built on by the uh, the M ninety quite a lot of its length. If you uh, reopened it, I think a lot of it would be on new alignment, probably tunneled as well. Um, uh, DL, yeah, sorry, Alien Dan, I'm just not pronouncing it well. Uh, Dan knows because he's a steel nerd. Alien knows because she's local, uh, presumably. Uh, let's see, David is uh, railway between Haymarket and Edinburgh Waverley was quadrupled for the opening of the 4th Bridge. It wasn't for the opening of the 4th Bridge, it happened 10 years later. It wasn't done for the 4th Bridge, David. Um, Network Rail are wondering if they reopen the line, yeah, well, I don't know if they'll install overheads, you'd expect them to because frankly any railway that's open these days should have wires uh, involved in the project. Um, Oh, it's 10-2 already. Look at this. We're, time is getting past us. Oh, we're nearly there. So here are some pictures of the three. And in the background, so you've got the, the, the fourth bridge in the foreground. You've got the suspension bridge in the middle, which is actually relies on an inverse arch principle. So the, the, the arch, the traditional masonry arch, for example, relies on compression throughout. The suspension bridge is the exact opposite of that principle. It's, it relies on tension throughout. So rather than compressing down onto an arch, you suspend everything off a, a uh, an arch, essentially an invert, is arch in, in tension. Um, let's, so that's so. So it's worth. So I like looking at that because actually you've got two cantilever type structures. The the, the third fourth crossing, the, the third fourth bridge, the, the Queensfield crossing in the background. Uh, it has. It, it mirrors the very much mirrors the design of the fourth bridge. In that you've got three piers, you know, three major sort of central piers. Uh, each of them relying on the cantilever, uh, designed to support the the central span, um, and you can see the nice interlaced uh, sort of uh, cable work on the on the, the Queensferry Crossing, which I think is a stunning bridge, by the way. And again, you've got that long period approach, you've kind of got the long uh, sort of viaduct approach uh, on the south, and then the shorter one on the north. they the, 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 not not by accident the two structures are very close in design. Um, Although obviously the Free crossing is a lot lighter. Um, what am I going to talk about next? I wonder. Let's let's whiz in. Oh, just looking at some nice pictures. These are nice. I like these. These these are the views. Um, looking. Sorry about the rationed pixels here. I love these views down. Nigel Harris took some wonderful ones that are in that are in um, that are in a previous issue of Rail Magazine, and I love these because actually when it's in summer you can see the steelwork rippling from its exp- how it expands just very strange but very interesting. Um, Yeah, right, so this is a picture, again, sorry about the pixels, this is a picture of one of the bothies, uh, and the reason I put this in is because you've got an external view, this bridge, to give you an idea of scale of the bridge, um, it is big enough that it has lifts, it has uh, stairwells, it has bothies, this thing is like a, it's like a town suspended between the two, kind of North and South Queensfree. And so this is a bothy with this view inside. this It's a Getty image. I know it's got the watermark on it, I don't care. Uh, this is one of my favourite pictures. It's possibly my second favourite picture of the Fourth Bridge after the one that I started this presentation with. Um, look at this. This guy is he's, he's in oranges, but this is like mid 90s, right? 99p for cornflakes uh, <laughs> with some uh, Wiseman dairies, milk, and. I just love this picture. Like he's there reading his newspaper or his magazine. Uh is there's some vandalism on the wall. There's it's just I love this picture so much. It's terrific. Absolutely terrific. Just sums up so much. The hostile environment, but you're there in a, probably quite a warm bothy, surrounded by asbestos invariably. Um oh a bothy, sorry, for anyone who doesn't know what a bothy is. A bothy is just a hut, essentially. Um it's a it's not a Scottish net oh, there are lots of bothys in Scotland, but actually you get bothys all over the place in the UK um usually in the countryside and it let weirdos like me um dive into um dive into them when we're resting in the evenings uh when we've gone for a walk in, in the hills. Um it's not possible to camp in these uh bothies. Oh Ashley Elgin, hello, nice to see you. I'm, i hopefully I answered your question earlier. Um it's not possible to camp in these bothies, but it'd be awesome if you could. Uh I think they're probably a bit a bit rugged around the edges. Oh, right. Quebec. So Here we are. Well, there's your problem, episode 14, the Quebec Bridge. It's worth a look if you want to know a little bit about the legacy of the fourth bridge and the other structures it inspired. Matt, I think you were asking about this. Um, So, the second iteration of the Quebec Bridge, uh, so the the first one was a a unique design, collapsed because it was rubbish. The second one collapsed because of bad uh, temporary works, bad management, and a few other things. But find out about this, that by watching, uh, well, there's your problem which is a, fun, a lot of fun anyway. Um, but it leaned heavily on the experience gain, if not the directors on the experience gained during the construction of the fourth Bridge. Um, uh, an Irish engineer Morris Fitzmorris terrific name, uh, worked very closely with Benjamin Baker on the bridge. Um, and uh, he held a role in the committee into the influence into kind of the, the infamous collapse of the first Quebec Bridge. Sadly there was a collapse on the second one as well, which is what this is a picture of. It's a collapse, the collapse of the central span. Uh, not yeah, not great history, the Quebec Bridge. Anyway, watch, watch Well There's Your Problem for more on that. Uh, I'd recommend it. It's good fun. Um, oh, yeah, so here's steam things going through. This is... Is this Tornado or is it Scotsman? I can't tell. I don't know enough about steam trains. That looks like Scotsman, doesn't it? Yeah, it's Scotsman, isn't it? In any case, there's Scotsman. Um, and there's a Scotsman again, but older one with different bits attached to it. That's right, yeah. That's Cuneo. Um, Terence. Uh, and here he is, drawing it. Uh, and he, in fact, indeed, he used to draw the, the the fourth bridge quite a lot. This is probably my favorite of his because it really captures the energy. There's a great story that I did a Twitter thread on, um, of him up in hanging on for dear life, kind of painting the, the fourth bridge, kind of desperately painting it. Uh, and And he came back down, uh, having kind of had this kind of near death experience in the wind, you know, kind of desperately holding on to his pencils and his sketchbook. And I think one of the engineers kind of working, one of the maintainers on the bridge kind of said, yeah, there are like 60 mile an hour gusts going on. No wonder you're nearly blown off. So that's, um, he had quite the experience up there. But I think that he really captures the, the, the energy of it uh, with, uh, with 60031, whichever A4 Streamline Pacific that is, going through the bridge here. I love that. And actually famously, this then became one of the Scotland for your holidays uh, posters, um, which I think is terrific. There's a mouse in there somewhere. Um, Brian Monroe is uh, saying thanks for your programs as they're brilliant just as good as Jeff Marshall's content Jeff Marshall has a spectacular budget I wouldn't try and compare myself to him he has a budget and does this full-time I'm an engineer and do this in my spare time which is why it's a bit rough around the edges (laughs) Um, yeah uh, Matt's going to move to Scotland to try and get a job on the fourth bridge I'd recommend it Um, and yeah Kentish Railways would have just called them P.W. Patrolman's Huts. Being a southerner, well, yeah, but in Scotland they were called boff I think they're called Boffies in the north of England as well. Boffies is like a, a an outside of the south thing. I don't know if it's just Scottish, but it might well be. A, a, it might well be a, a sort of a, a Scottish thing that's made its way south. Uh, some people have got jigsaws of this picture. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet. I'll bet you do. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? This one's a different. Uh, I'm just looking at the brushstrokes on this. It is it is it actually a different painting? Or is it just that they, when they've recreated, I think they've recreated it and changed the colour. Yeah. Anyway, that's a segue, isn't it? Um, what would happen if they tried to quad track the bridge? You don't need to. Uh, there's not the space for it because all the intersecting trusses would don't leave you enough space. To be honest, you don't need to. An interesting point with this is that it, it it's not an in. The the line speed is is quite low. They probably could do structural works to increase it. Uh, it would probably involve it would be over expensive and it's not necessarily necessary because actually by having the speed lower they can kind of send more stuff through. There might well be structural works on it to improve its capacity uh, over the next 30, 40 years. At the moment it's it, more trains travel over the fourth bridge than travel over the Selby diversion in terms of capacity. So this this it's a very busy stretch of railway line. It's a major uh, trunk route for, for connecting Scotland, north and south. Um, but there are other things to do first in terms of capacity, you know, the signaling around, actually, if, just like well in viaduct area, if you flight trains through there quick enough, so you, you, you increase the speed through the approach S&C, for example, switches and crossings, if you flight enough stuff through there, so conveyor belt trains one by one going through, um, the capacity issue isn't necessarily the fourth bridge, it's the infrastructure around it. So there's, there's a lot to be done first before you'd worry about quadrupling uh, the fourth bridge. Interesting question, though. Um, i've never really thought about it what rolling stock goes over it uh, is is what toby farman is asking is it just 170s no there's all sorts there's still freight trains um you've got the h the short form hsts uh, kind of a bit of a stop gap before electrification rolls out a bit um there's uh there's the 150 there's 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 a lot there's a decent range of different rolling stock runs over actually i'm sure if you search oh not to mention all the heritage stuff that goes through too there's quite a lot goes through here um You know, the the LNER HSTs used to, and now, of course, the uh, Azumas, the the bi-mode Azumas go through there as well. They look absolutely smashing when they run through there, really great. Um, Oh, and there there we are, 1956. That ended up being a bit more of a rush, didn't it? Hopefully, I've chatted a bit more to all of you. Um, What's the loading gauge on the bridge? Ashley Elgin asks. Um, I live in Germany nowadays, so I'm used to double-deck DB Bombardier carriages. Well, uh, Deutsche Bahn Bombardier carriages. I can tell you exactly what the loading gauge is. It's W7 which is a form of container, uh, so third generation W7, it's a form of container wagon clearance. So that means a very set, quite a restrictive uh, collection of shipping containers, so not the largest actually, smaller, narrower shipping containers set into a very small number of wagons, particularly low, low kind of low-set wagons, um, can travel through, um, through there. So... Uh, W7 clearance, so it's not bad. It's not the smallest, but it's only a little bit above W6, so you can get some boxy stuff through there. Uh, But it's not, uh, yeah, certainly not W12, which is the kind of the bog standard. Everything can go along it. UK loading or GB loading gauge. Lee Render very usefully points out that 158s, 170s, HSTs, Azuma Class 220, 221, local hold services, the five circle. Oh yeah, of course. Um, uh, Plus freight and heritage run through there. Um, plus eventually there'll be electric stuff running through so whatever the electric stock that runs up there eventually will run uh, the five circles like a no-brainer to electrify isn't it um yeah fourth bridge. so how, how am i going to finish yeah so oh there are loads of factoid, fact little facty bits i could read out so the first train that went over for example was driven by um, a woman uh candida louise hay near bartolucci uh, the mario uh, the marchioness of tweeddale i mean If she was going to be a woman, she had to be posh, you know, there wasn't going to be any sort of intersectionality going on here. But anyway, she was at the controls of the the, the first locomotive. I don't know which locomotive it was, but it went through in January 1890, that's a good fact. Um, The total painted area of the bridge is 230,000 square metres, which is as big as the floor space in Grand Central Station, or it's the equivalent of 33 football pitches. That's, like, massive. Um, uh, It was, yeah, the owners of the bridge... Uh, which was the 4th Bridge Railway Company, they were never bought, bought out by the North British because the North British held an, held an equal stake with other railway companies, which meant that it avoided grouping uh, in 1923. So actually, the grouping didn't get the 4th Bridge Railway Company. So it's kind of the weird outlier, a bit like the Derwent Valley Light Railway. Um, near me now. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, what else? What other little facts? It doesn't have a dedicated reference number. It's the only major structure in the UK not to have one. So Underbridge, ECN... Two twenty-eight, which is Station Road in Dalmini, is to the south, and Underbridge ECN two twenty-nine is Old Edinburgh Road in North Queensfree. They're either side, uh, and it's known by most as the bridge. So it doesn't have a structure number. It's just the bridge. It's it's just I love it. Everything about it. It's great. Um, so yeah, what, what I mean, what can I say? It's it's the eldest of the three. Um, it's it's one of it's one of I mean all three of the bridges here are record topping. Um, this one's just terrific. I, I, I've broken the hour. I wasn't going to, was I? I love it. Uh, I just want to. Yeah, it's it's. It might. I, I I think it's the best representative of what the future holds for transport. The other two are road bridges. They're the past. This is the oldest and the most futuristic of the three bridges. There, in my personal opinion, it, it is representative of the future of transport. Um, and it's it's. I think. It's it's a majestic. It's an instantly recognisable structure it's the numbers are just incredible it stands astride it shows what the railways could do you know this huge estuary windblown estuary with tremendous cliffs on one side and and kind of impact just it was the railways just strode across with this incredible structure and for me i just love it for that um and that's why it's here uh and i'm gonna I, i'm gonna finish soon i promise um there's oh Ailey's just saying that if we're talking about improving freight to fife in the northeast uh the more important thing to do is improve the sterling and Cardinal line yeah absolutely agreed uh right let's let's close out because i've already run past the hour i was a bit late so you, you're getting an extra couple of minutes Keel, thank you very much as ever for putting this on itunes spotify google podcasts and the other one um if you listen to this on the on the on the podcasting services of which there are several uh hello hello from all of us in the chat not just from me um terrific uh, and what else am I going to do? I'm going to say, oh yes, next week is exciting. We have John Ellidge off of uh, the new Statesman and Citymetric, a, a well and truly um, kind of heavily root, well-rooted rail nerd, uh, I'm pleased to say. Very excited to have John Ellidge joining us. He's talking about the official and objective ranking of London Rail Terminals. Uh, so basically, we're going to talk about all these lovely London Railway Terminals and why he thinks they are uh, either rubbish or good in a, in a certain order. Uh, we'll get there. We'll, we'll talk about there soon. Um, yeah, so that's that's next week. Do join us for that. That should be good fun. Um, oh, you know this bit. Those of you who are patron uh, Patreon supporters, thank you so much. You allow me to do this. You, you support me, allow me to kind of eventually buy uh, new microphone technology Um please do consider doing that. You get lots of bonus extras if you go into um, into Patreon. Loads of bonus videos and all sorts of stuff in there. Um, you get to tell me what the next episode needs to be so you get to vote on episodes. All sorts of fun stuff. Um, if you don't want to do that, though, chuck me stuff on Ko-fi or PayPal. That's fine as well. Um, yeah, so let's go back to Big Face before I finish up. Um, firstly, to say thanks to all of you, Rail Railnatterers, uh, for joining. Uh we we've got a mention, look all of us, this isn't just me, all of us have got a mention in um, in the latest Rail Magazine, there we are, uh, there it is, Rail Natter, isn't that nice? So that's Rail Magazine, it's a good it's a good issue, uh, pick it up, David Shearers is watching, but I'm sure he doesn't mind, because Rail Engineer is good, but it's free, so you can get that as well. Um, yeah, uh, everyone, thank you so much for a really fun, quick, uh, hopefully-ish, compared to the previous ones, an hour and a half with Tim, good golly. Um, Thanks so much for joining. Um, John is joining us. Yeah, lots of people. Uh, Thank you so much for all of you um, joining. You've all been great. Um, I'm going to leave us with a, what am I going to do? I'm going to go that and then I'm going to say cheerio. Thanks for joining. Cheerio. Cheerio.